welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 130. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons. And as always, I'm joined by the man who is an antidote to chaos himself. He goes beyond order. It is Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. I mean, you're right. Today is not only going beyond chaos and order, but, you know, before we get into that, I think we're getting beyond the cold of autumn over in Sydney. It's a beautiful sunny day. It is. It is um, one of those strange things about winter in Sydney um, that I can certainly tell you, having lived in Europe for over 10 years, this ain't no winter in the end. It's a little chilly, but it's a beautiful day. And it feels like just the perfect moment for us to return to some familiar territory, but with a brand new set of ideas. That's right. Today, listeners, we are getting into Jordan Peterson's Beyond Order 12 More Rules for Life. So for those who listen, we covered the first of the uh, of his uh, 12 from the 42 of his Cora last uh, week. Uh, that was originally published in 2018. We're now getting into Beyond Order, which was published earlier this year in 2021. And Mike, there's some pretty essential rules once again being brought up by Peterson that I can't wait to think out loud and share with you as well as our listeners today. I think it's a pretty powerful set of rules once again from Peterson. Well, it's what you would expect, isn't it, from Jordan Peterson himself. And he has been through quite the adventure since he wrote his last book. Um, Here we are in uh, the first day of June 2021, and this book was only published a month or two ago. So this is hot off the press. Many people are saying this is a little bit more of a personal um, uh, book from Jordan Peterson. It's a little bit more, uh, even one might say authentic, but it has certainly had a lot of impact on folks. Uh, I would even go as far as uh, to to quote some people say this was like a life-saving book for them. Um, So it's a pretty profound piece of work. So what you, our listeners, can expect today is us rifling through the first six rules of Jordan Peterson's new book, Beyond Order. And there is some great storytelling. I can tell you what, we've even got dragons and Tinkerbell and everything in between coming up in this show. So it's going to be fantastic. And I think what Jordan does for us, Mark, is he gives us a way to think, a way to confront, and a way to move towards our goals. That's how I see the span of his work. I think that's why he's so powerful. Why do you think Jordan Peterson matters? I think Jordan Peterson calls all of us out and says, hey, you need to assume the responsibility for the situation that you're in right now, as well as how you are responding to life's challenges. Mm. I think he enables, imagine he's behind this big spotlight and, and I kind of imagine him on the top of a tower looking down at all of us and he's turned on this big spotlight and he's turned it to me and says, hey, Mark, take these rules and mm. use them when you're struggling day to day, when you've got a little bit of a problem with work or life or whatever it is, here are some, some essential behaviors and rules and ways of reacting that you can do yourself. And I think that's, that's pretty personal. I think that might be where the yeah. connection between this yes. book has saved my life has, has really come from a lot of readers. Yeah. Well, we're building up the expectations where we're saving <laughs> lives, no less here on the uh, Moonshots podcast. So Mark, we're going to uh, kick things off with um, perhaps 
a very meaty clip. Why don't you set it up for us so we can get into the business of saving lives? Yeah. So today we're going to be kicking off the show with Claire from 52 Living Ideas from YouTube. Um, Claire is going to dig into this idea of abandoned ideology from Jordan Peterson and help us understand modern idea structures. Abandoned ideology. Um, And I have to say, reading this chapter, I feel in this book that this is really the chapter that I've been waiting for. It is well-written, it is tight, and and it's not a new topic for Peterson by any means. Um, It beckons back to sort of his classic, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the the world. In, uh, in the previous book, where he brought us inside the minds of the Columbine shooters. This, this area of expertise for him, this knowledge area of ideology is really born out of Peterson's long study of some of the great genocides of the 20th century. So in this chapter, he really more clearly than I think he's ever done before, starts to outline why we need to be cautious of any modern idea structures whether that be yoga or conservatism or liberalism or even like diet culture. Um, He's really starting to beautifully outline how all these kind of modern ideologues are simplifying the immense complexity of the world. And anytime that a school of thought is giving sort of a blanket univariate cause for such diverse and complex problems where the victims are always innocent and as he says the perpetrators are always evil you should ask more questions there um and and he says that these ideas these are particularly attractive to people who are smart and lazy and that definitely stuck out to me because i think i certainly was one of those ideologues in the past So what do we do instead? What do we do instead of ideology? Where do we look? Um, He really systematically outlines and brings us through the classic Nietzschean thought of God is dead and what do we do instead of that? Um, And he encourages us um, to look inside ourselves for the errors of the room. Um, We should sort of look to develop our own value structures, our own idea structures, and take the world's sins onto ourselves, or at least identify what that shadow shadow is within ourselves. Um, He uses the example of fiction. So bad fiction, bad stories, always has good guys and bad guys, but a really good story, it divides each character into light and darkness it finds the shadow within each of us. And those are the kind of evil characters that we relate to because we know that, you know, within all of us, there is that propensity to evil and it's up to us to kind of value our, our, or create a hierarchy out of our values. So I will leave you guys with just the last um, passage of the chapter, which I think is a banger. Have some humility, clean up your bedroom classic Peterson. Um, Take care of your family, follow your conscience, straighten up your life, find something productive and interesting to do and commit to it. When you can do all that, find a bigger problem and try to solve that if you dare. And if that works too, move on to even more ambitious projects. And as the necessary beginning to that process, abandon ideology. Ah, what a way to start the show. 
My goodness, Mark, there was so much in that. I'm looking at my I'm looking at my notes and I'm paralyzed. There's just too many ways to talk about this. All right. Let let, let me tell you shop. I think um why the context of this thought, this rule is so important right now is in part thanks to our preoccupation with social media, we are dividing ourselves amongst those that are red, those that are blue, those that are black, those that are white, uh, those that are good, those that are bad. We're making this very clumsy, uh, what are you for, what are you against, polarized society. And what Peterson points out in this idea of abandoned ideology is life just isn't that simple. In fact, if we look at ourselves, we all have a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. So don't cast, don't be so quick to cast those judgments among others. Further still, ask some questions, um, go deeper and enjoy and embrace independent thought. Don't just go along with the crowd. Be careful that you're not drinking the Kool-Aid, that you actually miss the truth. I mean, what a big open up mark my brain is just like spinning oh, it's it's big isn't it because <laughs> it, it I, I i actually in fact i'm as you can hear i'm struggling to put my own thoughts into words um i i like this comparison that claire uh, from 52 living ideas calls out here ideologies exist everywhere and you could even say that yoga is an ideology and i like the the, the build that you've just done there, which is life isn't one side or the other, black or white. It's not um, as easy to say as you're a good guy or a bad guy because you do fall in and out. So you might get into yoga, sure, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only thing that you do, right? Mm-hmm. I like this, this concept of life isn't as simple as you either do it or don't do it. You're going to fall somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And if you can at least be aware of that, you can see that there might be an imbalance that comes with either how you respond to things or how the world responds to things. If you're aware of that imbalance and can think for yourself, you can then work on self-improvement. You can then help yourself get a little bit better with how you react or respond to other people as well as yourself. And you can make it maybe that little bit better than the day before. Yeah. So, so, so let's do a practical exercise because this is such a big idea, potentially a little abstract. Let's say if you wanted to be a little um, less ideological, if you wanted to be a little bit more open-minded, what I would suggest, Mark, is that in conversation, you know, what, what Peterson is telling us is go a little bit deeper, right? So the question is, well, how do you do that? Like, how do you go deeper? How do you not just rush and say, hey, they're good guys, they're bad guys, cast your judgments and be set there. I would propose to you, Mark, that we simply need to ask in conversation or to ourselves when we hear a point of view, we need to ask the question, why? Mm. And we have to be deliberate in questioning things. Because I think we take a lot of things at face value. You know, the amount of um, news and misinformation that is distributed by the headline alone. 
where people are not even reading the body of the story, right? Mm. I would say pause. When someone uh, presents a challenging idea or a radical idea, or perhaps when you're thinking, oh, this is the way to go about things, maybe you have a certain bias, just ask yourself why. In fact, there is this practice, uh, the Toyota uh, practice of ask why five times and you shall find the root of all problems. Now, I think what's really good, if we want to abandon our ideology, we have to stop falling for clickbait or confirmation bias when we see things that we already believe are true and to pursue some more uncomfortable ideas with the question of oh, why, tell me more, help me understand. I think that's the start to abandoning ideology rather than just accepting everything at face value and, uh, yeah, not challenging the way you see the world. And this, by the way, Mark, this is so Adam Grant. On the recent Adam Grant Think Again show, he's basically saying, watch out, guys, you've all got these biases that will really uh, get your thinking off track because you'll you'll assume so much you won't challenge um, given assumptions. I mean, I think this is a great uh, practice, don't you, Matt? Yeah, you're totally right. Drawing the comparison to Adam Grant, I, I totally agree. He was calling out in that show and in his latest book, Think for Yourself, wasn't he? And I think that's exactly where Peterson's coming mm. from here as well. Abandon mm. those modern idea structures, the things that perhaps you've absorbed or learned as you've grown up that actually now might be a little bit wrong, mm. or, you know, maybe a bit outdated, or mm. maybe it's causing you undue stress when actually you could, you could change it. I think exactly as Grant was calling out, take ownership, know that you can go and change it if you choose to. It's much like any habit, isn't it? It certainly, certainly is. And I think what's so perfect is this second rule is the perfect follow-on from this idea because um, in his second rule, Jordan Peterson really starts to talk about how quickly we are to judge on one side or the other, to call out a, a, a good guy and a bad guy, right? The hero and the enemy. Yet, actually, if we listen to his second rule, it's, it's really about finding a much better balance in how we think and how we judge. So let's jump in and continue this line of thinking with Jordan Peterson's rule, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievements. So here's, here's some of the new rules. So um, the first one is, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement. I like, I like that one because you're more prone to carelessly denigrate social institutions if you're liberal on the left side of the spectrum, let's say, because you're interested in lateral thinking and spontaneity and, and novelty and... Um, leery of, of, what would you say, structures that constrain. And then if you're more on the center or the right, you're more likely to denigrate creative achievement because, well, the creative types, you know, they're always moving laterally and breaking things apart. And I mean, I mean the genuinely creative types, you know, the, the ones who are on the avant-garde. And, and they're a bit of a threat to social institutions. But the truth of the matter is that you need both. There's, a, there's this old... There's this line in Ellis in Wonderland 
when Ellis goes down the rabbit hole underneath the structure of things and she meets the Red Queen down there. The Red Queen is basically Mother Nature and she's red because Mother Nature is red in blood, you know, and that's why the Red Queen is always running around yelling off with their heads, you know. She's, she's the queen of mayhem and murder. And one of the things she says is that in my kingdom, you have to run as fast as you can just to stay in the same place. And that's really, set, that's the fundamental flaw of rigid conservatism is that you cannot stay in the same place because everything around you shifts and so you're forced to update. And so even if you're a conservative person, you can't denigrate creative achievement because a certain amount of it is necessary just to keep things stable. And if you're a conservative, you're interested in stability. You think, well, I, I wish things could stay the same. It's like, nope, not going to happen. You know, I mean, you don't even stay the same, right? You sit there and you think, I'm just going to stay the same. And, it, and you don't. You get old. And, and it, it, right, right. I mean, it, it just happens. And because of that, you have, to, you have to update. And it's the creative types that do the updating. Now, you know, that can get out of hand and things can, you know, you can get so many people, creative people, destabilizing this, the, the, the current situation so that nothing is reliable. And that, that, that untrammeled creativity can be a destructive force. That's its danger. But it's necessary to respect cultural institutions and also to respect the process that updates them. And so that's what that chapter is about. Respect, or at least be aware of the chaotic um, landscape or world that's around you is a bit of a challenge. I think what he's, what he's calling out in that rule there is everything has a, a mean or a, or a value, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you might go into the world based on your upbringing, based on your passions, your preferences and so on. And you might feel like you want to rebel against those outside forces. And those outside forces might be other people. They might be internal anxieties and so on. And I think what the rules trying to help us here is how to guide yourself through those challenges, those moments where things feel a little bit intense. It's finding the guidance or at least the, um, the, the, calmness that comes with knowing that everything has a, um, a reason. And again, similar to that first rule that we heard on the show, if you can accept both sides of the coin, then you're going to feel a little bit more balanced. Yeah. I, I thought what I liked is like, just don't be so rigid because like the world is constantly changing. And I think the last, the last year has, has been total, uh, confirmation of like everything can change pretty quickly. So you need to move with the times. Don't just like stubbornly hold on to things that may have been true in the past, but are now no longer relevant or the idea has moved on. Um, I think that's really good. And, and I think it's very appropriate because I think we see a lot of people holding on to these truths even harder. So the change comes and so they, they actually hold on, they become more rigid, mm. which, is, uh, which is quite challenging. So how do, we, how do you think we can uh, make ourselves more nimble and, and flexible in how we see the world, Mark? Like if, if I said to you, okay, Mark, how are you kind of moving your thinking along with the times? What would your answer be? Like, how would you do it? Uh, for me, when I, when I heard the clip, I'm reminded of the Patrick Lencioni work that he's done on teamwork. 
and how you should listen to your, your colleagues and your teammates. And there's a lot of value that you can get from just listening Mm. or asking somebody, okay, well, tell me more. What's, what's your life story or what's your Mm -hmm. point of view? Mm. And, and I think it can be a challenge because, you know, life is moving at a million miles an hour. So sometimes you almost don't want to have to listen to somebody else, do you? You just want to go ahead and do it. And and I've it's been guilty that, of that for sure. It, it's that moment where you like they say something, you go, "Oh, there's a sound, there's a ring of truth to that," but you're like, "Oh, but then I have to change how I think about yeah. this." Thing. And you're like, "No, I'm too busy for that. I'm just going to give me <laughs> exactly. I can't. I can't do this. I, I don't want to change. Change. Oh my I can't. Gosh. I can't change the product now. And you know, even though they might be right, yeah, I can't do it now. I don't. I, I think that's pretty pretty challenging. So the I think it begins at least by sitting down with your colleagues, your, your, your partners, or even maybe your customers to try and understand, well, where is the balance between what is feasible, what's desired, and how can we maybe get there over time? Yeah, I think it's um, a build on that is I would search out uh, to understand things that make you uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Like if there's a, like a growing social political point of view that you're like, wow, that just sounds like bonkers. Right. Um, then I think that's an invitation to, well, study up on it, ask some questions, uh, try and understand where they're coming from. Um, maybe ask yourself well, having studied it, I don't still don't agree with it, but then you could say, well, I wonder what are the conditions that have led them to think like this? What is the context to this thinking? Oh, they've been on that journey. So therefore they have that kind of point of view. Um, so you might not un- uh, agree, but you can understand. I think that searching to understand could be a really good way to find um, a little bit less rush to judgment, don't you? Yeah, m- much like the a- abandoned ideology instead of uh, you know, falling into the trap of, well, this is it. This is what I've always thought. And I'm, it, it's either good or bad, mm. number one or number two. Mm. And like you say, if you go out and seek to understand why somebody else has chosen something, then you can start to either appreciate where they're coming from. You can start to maybe even question why. And you're just a little bit more informed, aren't you? You're more th- likely to understand where that uh, line is between, as Jordan would put it, order and chaos. Yeah, yeah. And also I think if you kind of understand why someone thinks like they do, um, that I think you can um, you can be less judgmental. Yeah. Like you can say, oh, I kind of get it. I can see why they would think like that. Um, don't agree with the point of view, but I think if you can understand why they have it, I think that takes the edge off you going, crazy idiot lunatic <laughs> and you know that quick rush to like they're all bonkers and stuff like that yeah. um i i think that's 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 perhaps a very good way to to go about it so already we're, we're seeing sort of a pattern here uh from uh jordan peterson which is he's really just calling us out on our fixed mindsets and saying hey uh he's obviously gone and read some carol dweck she's he's got a yep. growth mindset happening and he's inviting different points of view. He's inviting, you know, a little bit of um, self-reflection. 
don't be so quick. You know, in, in the first book he talked about, like, don't go and shout about how dirty the street is if your house isn't clean. Right. So it's a really interesting way he gets to this. I think something that, um, really connects to these first two thoughts. So abandon your ideologies as an exercise. Be careful of all those biases. Don't rush to that judgment. Seek to understand. Like, so there's a nice build happening here. I think now if we swing it back at ourselves, I think there's actually another idea here um, that is really powerful. It's another one of his rules. And this is uh, about this kind of idea of self-accountability and it all is told through this idea of what's in the fog. Do not hide unwanted things in the fog. Yeah, th- that's a good one. Imagine that you're wandering through the fog and, there, and there's, there's pits that you could fall into and that there's, there's knives that you could impale yourself on. There's sharp edges everywhere. It's like, well... That's terrible. The world's, it's terrible that the world's full of pits and sharp edges and knives hidden in the fog. It's like, well, yeah, but what if you disperse the fog? Well, then the pits are still there and so are the sharp edges and the knives, but you don't have to fall into them because you can just walk around them. You know, and that, that's another reason why it's so useful to face things. It's like, well, if you, if you, if you become articulate about what it is that's disturbing you, then you sharpen up you sharpen up your representations of the catastrophe, let's say. And then you can, then you can, it turns out that it's much more probable that you can deal with it. You know, and you can't be sure because sometimes you're just screwed. You know, and, well, that's why you end up dying, right? It's like, well, I'm dead serious about this. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be stupidly optimistic. Sometimes you can be backed into a corner and there's no escape. That happens. But most of the time, it's not the case. Most of the time, if, you, if, you, if you're willing to make the situation clear, right, which is a matter of facing it and then clarifying it, it's a courageous thing to do. That's to beard the dragon in its den. You know, if you do that, then you find that the situation resolves into a set of problems that are smaller than you originally assumed they would be and there's a much higher probability that you can decompose the problems and then start to address them. And it doesn't matter because it's, it's your best bet. Like even if it doesn't work, and it might not, it's like you don't have a better strategy. There is not a better strategy. There's not a better strategy than to seek out the dragon in its den, even though there's some possibility that you'll get burnt to a crisp and that you won't get the gold. It's much better than waiting at home in your bed quivering while the thing grows and comes in and eats you. Because then for sure you lose. And that's pretty much how life works. Oh, it's, it's one of Peterson's talents, isn't it, Mike? To tell mm. such, a, such a story with such vivid imagery, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. connecting this rule to, to two different stories there, uh, the knives in the, in the fog as well as the dragon in the den, I, I really like. And at the core of, of that, when I hear it, he's reminding me, hey, Mark, remember... Life's full of knives. So, and and maybe there's a dragon in the cave. And instead of being blind or insisting on that, maybe not being the case, or instead burying your head in the sand and not preparing for it, then you might get burnt to a crisp or you might fall into the pit. But instead, if you can 
you know, name the beast. And in fact, I th- we've spoken about this on the show before. If you name the, the beast, if you know what's coming, you're going to be much more likely to be able to put up with it and maybe get out of it even stronger than you imagined. I, I like that, that, that final thing that he just actually referenced towards the end of the clip. When you do name it, sometimes it's smaller than you think. Mm. Look, there are, there are so many builds on this. Let, let's do this exercise of just showing how there is this magical intersection between what he's saying and so many of the people, the superstars that we have studied, Mark. Now, number one, Patrick Lencioni, you mentioned earlier in the show, he talks about the key thing that a team needs to be able to do is talk about the dragon, right? Mm. To talk about the challenge, the, the, have the hard conversations. In fact, Brené Brown wrote the book Braving the Wilderness, which is all about, you know, boundaries and accountability and this non-judgment, right? And we know how popular the Brené Brown uh, series was. But what's interesting is you can go right to Joe Rogan. Do you remember he said, pretend there's a documentary crew filming your life? That's right. That is to help you get to the dragons because you gotta you gotta clean your room when the when the crew's filming, right? You've got to, if you want to perform in a team, you've got to be able to talk about hard things. You've got to have like Goggins talks about an, uh, an accountability mirror. You gotta look at yourself and face the dragons. We talk about the the proverb of facing your demons. At some point, we must all come to terms with him. And I love this idea that he's basically saying, if you don't choose to go out and meet the dragon, the dragon's certainly going to come get you. Yeah. <laughs> it's inevitable. <laughs> Great, right? Isn't it amazing how this thought we could see uh, in anyone from Brené Brown, Joe Rogan, Patrick Lencioni, David Goggins, and far beyond. It's, it's really, it's a fascinating theme that has come back so much on the Moonshots podcast, isn't it? I think it's for me the the proactiveness that a lot of these yes uh, moonshotters are demonstrating. You know, they're they're all going out and putting their that front foot forward, so to speak. Seeking discomfort. They're seeking the discomfort. And in doing so, they're getting stronger, they're getting better, they're getting where they where they are now. They're becoming superstars. And, you know, that's the, the call out here, isn't it? In these, in these rules, as well as all the work that you've just mentioned, if you're proactive, you pay, uh, pay careful attention to how you react to things, then maybe you have a chance to, to do that learning and become that little bit better. It's, it's pretty, it can be a bit challenging though, Mike. I find sometimes admitting or naming the beast, naming the dragon, it, it's pretty uncomfortable to do that. So I think the reason, um, why is for us self-reflection to know your dragons. I think when you name them, a lot of us feel either sort of guilty or just downright scared. (laughs) Um, So um, I think what happens is our ego jumps in and says, oh, you know, um, I feel really bad. I kind of know I'm cheating on myself, right, in whatever form. I don't know. 
eating snacks, not working out, not doing the work, um, leaving everything to the last minute, whatever it is. And I think we, we can't help but feel this sort of guilt or fear. And I think we're designed for fight or flight. And so when it's uncomfortable, we allow that ego trigger to just go, oh, I don't want to hear it, or you blame someone else or whatever. Don't you think that's probably the most fundamental thing when we talk about naming your dragons? Um, don't you think our, our, when we're not at our best, we, we then choose to hide things in the fog because we don't want the uncomfortable truth? Yeah, I, I think it is, isn't it? It's, it's confessing to ourselves that maybe we um, have been a bit lazy or maybe we're, we're not sticking to our, our behavior that we wanted to try and do. Mm. And, you know, much like the, the habit series with James Clear, it's just the small incremental things that we can do each day, isn't it? It's very simple behavior changes. Maybe it's uh, a new routine that you've got in your morning ritual that just enables you to get that little bit yeah. more reflective perhaps. But, but so the thing is though, Mark, like how do you, how do you get to that point of instituting, you know, new rituals, new habits? And what I'm going to suggest to you is that you need to use self-reflection questions. All right. I think you need to create, whether it's uh, through with a friend or better still through a journal, I think you really need to contemplate tough self-reflection questions. So should I hit you with a few, Mark? Do you want to see it? And you tell me which yeah. one really kind of kind of gets to it. Yeah. And this, right. this is, this is good for the listeners. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, okay. uh, we're going okay. in deep. Okay. So, so I'll give you, I'll give you five. There's plenty, there's millions of good self-reflection. Okay. Here's, here's, here's a very, we'll start easy, Mark. Am I using my time wisely? That's nice. Okay. That's good. But now we're going to ramp it up a bit. Am I taking anything for granted? Oh, that, that's actually, that's a little bit tough. That one. That's, that's an uncomfortable admission. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Am I employing a healthy perspective towards life? Oh. Uh, I'll give you two more. We're going to get really heavy now. Am I living true to myself? Oh yeah, that's tough. That, that's that's you're going to need to work on. That. Okay, okay, okay. But what I'll do is I'll end on a nicer one. Okay, am I waking up in the morning ready to take on the day? Oh, nice. There you go. Nice. Okay, so I, I didn't get too heavy on that. I, one. Yeah, but they do. They do require you, you to have honest conversations with yourself, right? You need yeah. to reflect in order mm. to 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 answer those questions. I think. I truly believe that like if you get into the practice of asking those questions and then writing to them and you might need to write for days, if not weeks to them to build a self-awareness. And it's amazing if you put your attention to those. Um, and there are, there are many, there are many ways to get to either the things that are really good in your life or the things that you need to improve. Um, you know, you can, you can write to what worries you. You can write about your identity. You can write about your greatest fears. You know, there's many ways to go at it, but I would say if you want to slay the dragon, that is a fantastic way to start. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. The reflection. I, th I think, I think it's interesting. Also the, 
connection that you made to sharing it with others. Mm. I, th- I think that's actually a pretty good, um, almost easier way to begin the journey, actually. If you can, you know, keeping a journal is sometimes a little bit tough for people, but if you can at least say it out loud, it's that 1%. Mm. That 1% difference, just you start to warm up to this idea of looking at what you're doing, reflecting on what you've done and how you react to things. And then, yeah, you right. can take it that one step further. And, uh, you know, that great proverb, problem shared is a problem halved. I totally believe in that. It makes such oh, a difference. It is because we all get kind of caught in our mind and all wound up and, you know, we get lost in the forest and, yeah. you know, all of that sort of stuff. But I tell you, Mark, who's not lost we have one of our fabulous listeners who has opened, has begun a new journey for us. In fact, we have our first member of the Moonshots podcast. Can you believe it? Amazing. We are off to the races, Mark. How wonderful that one of our great listeners from you has opened up the Moonshot members uh, room and is warming it nicely uh, with you and myself. And uh, it is so delightful that this new chapter of the Moonshots podcast is on the way, isn't it? I, I can't believe it. It's, it's so much, uh, yeah, it fills me with so much excitement to know that we've got another member within the Moonshots uh, family, mm. you know, somebody who's there uh, behind the scenes with us and, and able to interact with us. I can't wait to to bring them in and get them excited with us. Yeah. So if you go to moonshots.io, you click on the members button at the top and you can become a member. And what that does is open up a world to you where we, uh, depending on which membership you take, if you take a moonshotter, you get to, uh, be part of all of the shows, leave comments. Cause you know, frankly, all the podcasting apps kind of suck. If you've tried the new Apple one, I had such high expectations. The fact that neither Spotify or Apple give you any real chance to talk about what was on the show. Um, it's very non-interactive. Um, if you go and become a member, you'll be able to comment where we share all our content. So just go to moonshots.io, become a member, and you'll be part of the conversation. And if you really want to ramp it up, you can actually uh, go for a Moonshot Master Membership where you'll get exclusive access to our new show, Mark. And that is shaping up to be a cracker. We are now in the month of June. Our production work will be finished. All the research will be finished tomorrow and we will be launching in June our first of the Moonshot Master Series and these are wildly different in format to this show, aren't they, Mark? They are. They're going to be much more um, orientated around the connections that you and I have found with our Moonshot entrepreneurs, superstars and Mm -hmm. and general legends. Mm -hmm. It's amazing the patterns, the themes, that little line that connects all of these incredible names that we've covered, Mike, over 130 shows. I know. We keep on finding these elements of DNA that's consistent across a lot of their behaviors, their reactions, their reflections, and so on. So for us to really have an opportunity and a platform to delve further into those themes, those connections, 
and, and DNA molecules, let's say, uh, I think it's going to be really fun for both you and I, as well as all of our members to experience. Well, what we're going to do is basically reveal the hidden code that we've discovered in the Moonshots podcast. And that is that we can see a relationship. The first show that we're working on for the Moonshot Master Series is going to be on motivation. And we're able to draw a line between author Daniel Pink, uh, entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk, Lady Gaga, David Goggins, Jordan Peterson. They all have this rich thinking that interconnects around motivation. So each show, this one, uh, first one will be the ultimate, uh, capsule of what it takes to find motivation, to be the best version of yourself. So we've got some fascinating things. We're going to delve into Ikagai, the Japanese practice of motivation and purpose. We're going to look at Daniel Pink's model. There's so much passion purpose, autonomy, curiosity. Oh, there's so many good frameworks. And we're going to give um, worksheets uh, that you can then apply these all to yourself. You'll often hear in the show that we're riffing about the ways you can get things done. Well, what we do with the master series is we actually give you these practical worksheets and canvases so you can just self-apply. So you can do it. And we are going to uh, go on such a journey. So we're going to do motivation. Then we'll probably do one of the mental models, probably first principles, because it's one of my favorites. And we get to delve into people like Musk and Peter Thiel. We're obviously going to do teamwork, big theme of the show, Michael Jordan, Patrick Lencioni, two wildly different people, but there is a model. There is a connective tissue. There is a secret source. We've found it and we're going to share it with you on the Moonshot Master Series. So if you want to get that, you'll need to become a member. Go over to moonshots.io, click on the big member button and join in because there is so much good stuff there. We're really at this point where we've studied so many people that we've kind of cracked this formula and we will give you that secret code. So I invite you to become a member. Thank you to our first member in Europe. Um, we really do uh, appreciate you launching this uh, program. So head over to moonshots.io if you want some inspiration to get things moving so you can be the best uh, version of yourself. Now, being the best version of yourself, Mark, I can think of no better idea than one of these Jordan Peterson rules to get us into being the best we can be. That's right. This next rule that we're going to hear from Peterson is a a bit of a call out, Mike. This is a a good reminder from Peterson to tell us, you know, not to sit around and just accept life as it comes, but instead have uh, a little bit more awareness about the sort of things that you have to put into it in order to get out the result that you're looking for. So this next rule we're going to hear from Jordan Peterson is how we can aim single-mindedly at a target. And so... Imagine who you could be and then aim single-mindedly at that. See, I like that one. The single-mindedly part is an interesting one. I learned this at least in part from Nietzsche. You know, when you're a kid, in principle, you could be anything, which is kind of one of the wonderful things about being a kid. And then one of the painful things about growing up and being an adult is that, well, you can't just stay being everything. That's the story of Peter Pan. Right? Pan means everything. And Peter Pan is this magical child 
you know, who can do anything, but he's, a, he's got a strange kingdom, right? He, he's king of the lost boys, which perhaps isn't a kingdom that you want to rule over. And, and so, and he doesn't grow up. And so he falls in love with Wendy and Wendy grows up and she has a family. She gets old. She stops being a child. But she has a family. She has a husband and she has a family. She has a life. And Peter Pan just stays in Neverland, which is also a hint on the part of the reader. And he stays magical and contents himself with Tinkerbell, who I always think of her as the porn fairy. And... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's got all the advantages of femininity, except she's not real. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Peter Pan, he doesn't want to grow up partly because his role model is Captain Hook. And Captain Hook, well, you think about, he's a pirate, so he's kind of a tyrant. And he's also a coward. And he's a coward because he's, well, he's afraid at least because he's being chased by a crocodile with a clock in his stomach. You think, what the hell does that mean? He's being chased by a crocodile. What does that mean? It's like, well, and it's already got a piece of him, right? It's bitten off his hand. It liked the taste. Well, it's time. That's why the clock is there, you know? It's time. And the crocodile is the terrible force that lies underneath everything that waits to pull you down, like it's mortality itself, and the threat of mortality. And the reason that Captain Hook is a tyrant is because he's afraid of death. And and so that makes him a tyrant and, and a cowardly tyrant. And Peter Pan looks at the cowardly tyrant and he thinks, well, I don't want to grow up to be that. And it's like, well, fair enough, you know, but... What are you going to do? Not grow up? Well, then you stay king of the lost boys and you have Tinkerbell and life goes on and that's not a good outcome. And so, you know, you have to make a sacrifice when you grow up. You have to become something. And to become something means to not become a whole bunch of other things. Like it's, it's a sacrifice. But the thing about the sacrifice is that you end up with something rather than nothing at all. Ooh. You know, the funny thing about this clip is it reminds me of the fact of how all, there there is no overnight success. It is about the grind over the long term. It's about the compound interest of doing something every day and just focusing on one thing and sticking with it over time. I think in a world that is so trained on instant gratification, I think this is such timely advice, Mark. Oh, yeah. Instant gratification, overnight success, whether it's Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or, you know, Elon Musk, whatever it is, everybody assumes, oh, yeah, well, I, uh, that's where I want to be. But they don't necessarily, unless they've listened to the Moonshots podcast, of course. Of course. <laughs> no. They probably need to be a master series member. They you know, need, might uh, need to be uh, a member. They might need to go next level. Yeah. But the grind that these superstars and entrepreneurs have, have put into their their careers, you know, Musk, do you remember the amazing story of him having to accept that his heroes, the astronauts from America were were kind of turning away from, from Musk's ambition. That's the grind. That's a sacrifice that he had to make in order to get where he was going. And that, uh, fear of failure, um, is one of those sacrifices that I think you kind of have to put up with or get through. And as long as, like you say, you stay focused on that goal and put in the grind, put in the hustle mm. slowly over time, you'll get to that, that destination, become maybe the, uh, a better version of Peter Pan. How, many, yeah. how, many, how deep is Peter Pan? 
Oh my gosh. I never knew there was so much in it. But to, to me, this is, um, you know, I want to steal a little bit from Paul Graham, who's been one of our real popular shows. We, we did Paul, I think, in the 20s or so. Mm. So definitely a couple of years ago, and he continues to be very popular. And, and I think one of the thoughts he has that really relates to this was that survival is success. Now, to explain that a little bit, uh, he's saying that within the context of uh, um, starting a business, doing a startup, and, you know, very often... Within the first couple of years, most startups, most new businesses fail. So once you get to like four or five years, you'd be lucky if one in 10 businesses are still going. That's just the numbers game. That's just how it is. But it's like anything in life. A lot of people don't stick with things. So if you can train yourself to pick a thing and stick with it over time, um, great things can happen. I would only reflect on the first show we did of Moonshot. So 130 shows ago, I think we maybe in that month, maybe got 500 listens. And this month, in the month just passed, we had 30,000 listeners. Wow. But hey, two and a half years ago, it was only a couple of hundred people. Mm. And Probably half of those was my mum hitting refresh. (laughs) (laughs) So the point here is you got to stick with it. And I meet so many people who want to get into podcasting and, um, you know, they ask me about how to think about it or any any thoughts. And uh, so many of the people I've talked to over the last few years have not stuck with it. Some, the old one actually launched but most never even got there. You got to pick a thing and go after it, don't you? Yeah, you really do. You really do. And and Mike, what I build on that actually is is the next rule that we hear from Peterson, um, which I think is around opportunity and spotting where there might be a gap in, let's say, the the podcast <laughs> landscape, perhaps, and how when you notice that potential opportunity, or maybe it's a weakness of others, that can be a gift. So this next rule we're going to hear from Peterson is how to step into areas that others might be afraid of. Okay, so the Pharaoh is pretty impressed by this dream interpretation and pretty worried about it. And I guess he's a reasonable person, despite the fact that he put Joseph in jail. Uh, I guess he didn't have much choice. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look for a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land. This is what Joseph is saying. And take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And just like that, Joseph is restored to his position. So... Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And so he comes out of the prison, and he really, in some sense, as far as I'm concerned, he actually occupies a position that's higher than the position of the Pharaoh. Depends on how you look at it, because the Pharaoh has relegated himself to ceremonial status, right? Joseph has all the responsibility, makes all the decisions, so de facto, he's the Pharaoh, he doesn't get the glory precisely, although he's not doing too bad for himself. And that, there's a lesson in that too. Um, I wrote these rules for Quora a long time ago, and one of them, I've written them into this, some of them into this book you guys got a pamphlet about today. One of the rules that I didn't write about was 
Um, note, that note that opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated, which is really interesting, I think. I mean, I've seen people in their jobs, they say things like, well, my, the guy I work with doesn't do any work. It's like, well, you could do it. I mean, I know there's limits to that, but one of the things you can do at work is make yourself indispensable. I mean, you might get the cane types against you if you do that, but there's something to be said for being indispensable because when people start to be dispensed with, you probably won't be one of them. Or even if you are, then the fact that you're indispensable just means you can go somewhere else and be indispensable there. And that's just as useful. So it's very, very difficult to permanently put down someone who's really good at doing things because they can just go off and do them somewhere else. And one of the ways that you get like that is to take responsibility when someone else is failing to do so. And you think, well, I shouldn't have to do that. That's one way of thinking about it. Another way of thinking about it is, oh, good, I get to do that. So, Mark, when I hear this, I think this is such a big moment that comes up in our lives where we're in some sort of organization of a team, be it family, friends, or work. Someone was meant to do something and it didn't happen, right? Isn't it interesting how often we are all quick to judge them and say, ah, oh, they let us down, ah, oh, them, ah, oh, that. But what Jordan is just saying, oh, fantastic. Or maybe I can do it, right? Let me take care of that. I have an opportunity. But isn't it interesting that so often socially we rush to call people out for not fulfilling uh, their role, whatever that was. And what he's saying is, what a great opportunity coming your way. You should embrace that. This is how you can, can contribute. Well, I, I, I connected to the first rule that we heard today, the abandoned ideology. If let's say that the ideology that I might have uh, intrinsically is to, I don't know, point the finger. I'm going to point the finger and I'm going to see other people's failures as uh, oh, it's, it's their fault. Aren't they, aren't they rubbish? Mm. Instead, if I can abandon that and I can abandon that a standard judgment. way judgment, exactly that judging mindful, uh, approach or that mm. mindset, and I can redo it. I can adopt a bit more of a growth mindset from Carol and really focus on, okay, well, let me change the way that I respond to mm. perhaps the weaknesses of others. And I can build on it. I can step in and help them. How great would that be? Oh. It's, it's, um, but it's not easy. We're so tempted to, to point fingers and accusations and judgment. And, um, you know, that's certainly one thing that I'm trying to improve about myself is just don't be in such a rush to judge others. There's this great wisdom. And I don't know if we've ever had a clip on it, which is to never judge a man for you do not know the battles he is fighting. Yeah. I like that, um, a lot. And, and, and sometimes I'll try and remember that, Mike, if I've got a, a challenge with, um, you know, a, a partner at work or a customer or whoever it is, or somebody in the street, even, you know, you're waiting in a queue and somebody cuts in front. You don't know the background, do you? You yeah. only know the, in fact, the only thing you know is how you're responding. That's the only thing you can control. Mm. You don't know what they've had to, to deal with today or in the past and actually just giving them that little bit of space. And maybe even helping them out. Mm. Hey, th that's such a, a nicer way of existing, isn't it? Mm. Mm. It really is. And look, 
it wouldn't be right if we didn't cover off the last of Jordan's rules. And I tell you what, this is a big one full of challenging you on are you living your purpose? Are you being the best version of yourself? So let's have a listen to the man once again. So here he is, Mr. Jordan Peterson. Do not do things that you hate. That's a variant. And I wrote a rule in, in the first book, which was tell the truth or at least don't lie. And I formulated it that way because, well, you don't know how to tell the truth because what the hell do you know? And, but you, you can maybe not lie because sometimes, you know, you're going to say something and you know it's a lie and you could just not lie. And sometimes you just don't know. And well, then, you know, you're ignorant and that's irreducible in some sense. But so maybe you can't tell the truth because you don't know the truth, but you can not lie. And this is the behavioral equivalent of this, you know, because you shouldn't do things that you hate. It's the same as lying. It's just, it's the acting out of a lie. Think, well, I have to do things that I hate. It's like, well, don't be so sure about that. Or maybe you have an ethical law. Doesn't, maybe, maybe that's not a good enough reason. Maybe you have an ethical obligation to not do things you hate the same way that you have an ethical obligation not to lie. And the excuse, well, I had to do it, it's not... It, 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 might even be, it might even be valid in some sense because you can find yourself in situations where you're terribly constrained. But the problem is it's not helpful. You know, it, lies will come back to haunt you. And the same thing happens when you do things that you hate. It's the behavioral equivalent of a lie. It will absolutely come back to haunt you. And if you're in a situation where you're required to do that for whatever reason, well, that's terrible for you. And, and maybe there's no way out of it or no simple way out of it, but you're going you're gonna to be punished for it. And not least by yourself, not least by the degeneration of your character, which is a terrible thing because you actually need your character in order to survive, right? Your character is the strength that you have to bring to bear in the world. And if you compromise that, well, then you will absolutely pay for that. So, Yeah, it's, it's Jordan bringing us home and inspiring us for the rest of the day, Mike, because... What, what, what do you think he's... What are examples of don't do things... That you hate because in a way we've talked about resilience haven't we um to fight through tough things so where's the line when you shouldn't be doing things you hate well let me let me try and describe it or break mm -hmm. it down in the way that my brain is processing it i mm -hmm. hope it's not going to get too um uh granular or too airy fairy but i'm sure with your help my we can we can simplify a little bit i believe that that rule do not do what you hate is a call out. And it's saying to us, you need to set aside the time and energy mm. to take a look at what is around you. Be aware of maybe the things that you like, as well as the things that you hate or that you don't like, and know that you have ownership to change it. So do not do what you hate. You need to know what you hate first. And then you need to know how you can go out and action it and go out and change that situation. And I believe. It's not only external. On the surface, it sounds as though, oh, don't do a job if you hate it. I actually think it's more internal. And the only way in order to go out and understand what you internally don't like mm -hmm. is journaling. Know the value of journaling. Know the value mm. of self-improvement. Mm. Yeah, and I think what he's saying is in line with, you know how people talk about someone being in a destructive relationship? Exactly. I think people who choose to keep going and uh, doing that. I think also people who are doing things that are 
not part of their purpose that create no satisfaction. Forget happiness, that there is no satisfaction, no fulfillment, no purpose in the activity. Then I think that's when you are doing something that you hate. And I think the word hate here is like when you're telling a lie to yourself because nobody should be doing something every day that is a lie to themselves that they truly hate. Exactly. But, but I, I, yeah, I I think the, I think the tendency for, for a lot of us would be just to put up with it. Right. Because Mm. we think, oh, well, I, I, I can't really change it, but it's, it's what we heard from Adam Grant. You can change it. I, I would say that there's mindsets in your behavior that you kind of hate as well. Oh, I hate uh, anxiety or I hate uh, feeling uncomfortable in um, public situations. Again, those things are things that you can control if you can master your mindset. Mm, Am mm. I getting a little bit too? <laughs> no. Maybe, no, I'm following. So I think where, where you're going is like the line here is when, when you are living in a way that is completely uh, disconnected to your purpose, uh, to your things that would give you some meaning in life, so fulfillment and satisfaction. And like grinding through challenge is one thing or overcoming, you know, things that you need to improve in yourself that's not a hate thing, right? A hate thing is when you're diametrically opposed uh, to the direction in which you should be going. Like if you can't say, hey, I'm doing this today so I can be over here tomorrow. If you're just in a world of pain and suffering, um, then you are only cheating yourself in the end. Exactly. You're the one being cheated. Mm. Yeah, you really, really are. Mark, so much. I mean, no wonder we have to cut these shows up in these books up into parts. There is, I mean, we would need two hours to do the whole book. And we, I mean, we, we, we could go so much deeper, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. And, and what's great for you and I is we can actually dig into the next six rules of Jordan Peterson's Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life in show 131, Mike. Next week, there's final six of his book, Beyond Order, we can dig into. And whew, I'm, I, I like the upcoming 12 as much as, as today's. I think this is going to be great for us. Yeah. So, and, and what a, what a body of work across his two books, uh, from Jordan Peterson. I mean, it's really, really great stuff. Um, so Mark, the big question is, are you abandoning your ideologies now that you've had, you know, Jordan Peterson has made his case to you. Are you abandoning? Yep. I think, you know, again, building on the grant, uh, grant's latest book, I really do believe that's a great connection that we can, we can try and change that mindset we have control over. I totally agree. I totally agree. Very, very timely indeed. I think at a time where the world has changed so much, we have to be nimble, less rigid and, you know, basically calibrate with the new world and the new reality we're in and be careful not to, to bring too much baggage from our bias and our pasts and just judge for ourselves what the world is truly about. That's it. Exactly. Well, Mark, thank you. Thank you to you on this rip roaring adventure into the world of Jordan Peterson. And thank you to you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us to dig into 
the book Beyond Order from Jordan Peterson, where it is fresh off the press and we are diving into a world which is challenging us to our core on how we think. And that starts with abandoning ideology because life really isn't black and white. And what we must really do is be very careful not to rush into judgment, to have more of a balance. And we know that if we truly want to be the best version of ourselves, hey, and you moonshotters, we know that's you, that you have to go after the dragon and slay it. As Peterson would say, do not hide unwanted things in the fog. And the turning point came in today's show where we could see resilience and we can really be proud of the grind. What Peterson invited us to do was to imagine who you could be and then aim single-mindedly at that thing. And notice that the opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. Yes, you can step into the fold, you can step into the arena, and you can do things that are true to your purpose, to your vision, to the meaning of yourself. Do not do what you hate. And if you follow these six rules from Jordan Peterson, you'll truly be on the way to being the very best version of yourselves. That's it for the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap.